Larry Gentis has produced a series of talks where he imagines himself to be a Bible character. Today he looks at some more of the problems Moses faced when trying to lead the people of Israel into the Promised Land. Well, I suppose there are two things that are inevitable. The one's already happened, birth and death. As we continued our journey through the desert, God gave us some very important statutes concerning how to deal with the practicalities of death. There are many things that God added to what we already knew, such as the purification not only of ourselves, but also of the cleaning of the objects used in caring for the deceased. No sooner had we understood and implemented these instructions than it was with great sorrow that my sister Miriam had passed away in the night as we were camped at Kadesh. She was my older sister, and you know how older sisters can be, bossy over the little brothers, Aaron and myself, but there was so much more to her. There is a book that we have called the Cedar Olam, where there is the history of our tribal ancestry. From this book, Miriam got her name, which means bitter, as a reflection of the bitter oppression under which she and our people lived, enslaved in the land of Egypt. As Moses, her brother, I owe Miriam so much. In fact, I wouldn't even be here to tell you her story if she hadn't watched as my mother put me in a reed basket, floated me as a baby down the Nile River, and seen where I landed and who collected me. Pharaoh had decreed at that time that all infants born to the Hebrew slaves were to be killed because he was afraid of our numbers and potential power. Also, she was a prophetess. Remember when we crossed the Red Sea after the Lord parted the waters, then closed them over the pursuing Egyptians? She was the one who took the tambourine and led the people in praise of our God. There was only one time that Miriam overstepped the mark, but at all other times she followed and sought the Lord in everything she did. Whilst it's true she had a moment of madness at Hazaroth when her and Aaron challenged my leadership over my wife, who was a Cushite, by and large, though, I am eternally grateful that God put her and Aaron with me. At that time, she was struck with leprosy, but God healed her of it when Aaron and I prayed to the Lord with her. Between us, my Cushite wife wasn't the easiest of people to deal with. Just after Miriam's burial, there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against myself and Aaron, saying, if only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there even water to drink. Aaron and I immediately fell on our faces before the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord appeared and spoke to us. Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. Well, I will admit that I was fed up with their selfish ways, and I'm to blame for what transpired next. I assembled all the people before the rock and brandished Aaron's rod, saying, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? I then lifted up my hand and struck the rock twice with the rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank of the water. But 
I had no sooner uttered these words when I knew I'd done something very wrong. The Lord turned to both Aaron and myself. Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now to you, it may seem a harsh punishment, but with reflection, the Lord put me, Moses, in charge of his great people. He did mighty miracles and signs and wonders through me. And if I didn't treat him as holy, how can I expect the congregation to do so? It was a grave sin indeed seen from that angle. The place was called the Waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord and he proved himself holy among them. Well, after the Waters of Meribah incident, he instructed us to take Aaron to the mountaintop of Hor, strip him of his priestly garments and put them on his son Eleazar. Soon after this, my beloved brother Aaron departed this life. Like Miriam, I will sorely miss him. There are two things that are inevitable, and the one's already happened, birth and death. But God in his mercy instructs us how to cope with it physically and spiritually. Goodbye, my dear brother. This comes from the book of Numbers, chapters 19 and 20 in the Holy Bible.
Elaine Brown is an author and member of Pitlochry Baptist Church. Elaine has produced a series of talks for us, and today she explains how praying leads to loving, based on Paul's letter to Philemon, verse 7. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Some time ago, when my husband and I were working with a mission in Africa, I had an unexpected meeting one day, which I have never forgotten. I was visiting a friend in a neighbouring country, and, as we chatted, a car drove up. I was introduced to this new keepcomer, who immediately cried out, So you're Elaine! And she hugged me, her face alight with joy. But I was utterly confused. Who was this total stranger, so warm with her greeting? She soon explained, I've enjoyed praying for you and your family ever since I heard of you, and as I've prayed, I've grown to love you. From then on, over the years, my new friend wrote regularly, her letters of encouragement being much valued. I discovered a truth from my friend which has been important to me ever since. As you pray for a person, you grow to love them. That's wonderful. Try it, especially if you're finding it difficult to relate to someone. Pray often for God to bless them, and he will in his wise way and time. In so doing, he will bless you too with growing love. And a brief prayer. Lord, thank you for the many blessings of prayer. May this encourage us to pray more and more.
Some people say to go a long way. Forget about others, think you're number one. Take what you can from your fellow man. Doesn't matter who you walk upon. What happened to love your neighbor as yourself? Would sell their soul to hell for all the things that money can buy, power and fame is the name of their game, but you can't take it with you when you die. What happened to blessed are the humble? To live life by that old black book, it guided me along life's way of every hour, of every day, down every road I took. Today has gone astray. So many bound by selfishness and pride. Folk chivy and chase what's worthless and base, and wonder why they're never satisfied. Tell me what happened. To bless the pure, isn't its beauty valued anymore? What happened to love? What happened to love? What happened to love? Matthew Roger is a retired minister living in Ailith. Matthew is the local minister at Pitlochry Church of Scotland. Every Sunday, he has some first thoughts to illustrate the point of his sermon. This week, we hear about a minister's experiences in Hong Kong. An American minister once had the opportunity to exchange with a colleague in and from Hong Kong. And he was in Hong Kong for some six months. And he came home, having enjoyed his experience and feeling that he had learned a great deal which would be useful to him in the days and weeks to come. And as many of you know, uh, ministers who have done something like that, often when they come home are 
encouraged to go and visit guilds and other organizations to speak about their experiences. And this minister was no different. On one evening, he had completed his discourse, telling them all the things that he had done. And at the end of his talk, he did as he did almost every night that he did deliver. He showed a photograph. He showed a photograph of a young Asian girl. A girl who clearly from the photograph, badly dressed, not looking very clean, and her body showing the signs of hunger and starvation. And the photograph also showed her asleep on the pavement, but with her nose almost touching the wall of a shop. And the shop was a baker's shop, and the window was full of bread. And after he had delivered that little photograph and story, the invited questions about his talk. And after one or two of the anticipated ones, a lady stood up and said to him, Minister, did you feed her or did you just take her photograph? Did you feed her or did you just take her photograph? Next Sunday, as you know, We celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper here and we will partake of bread and wine. And I wonder whether the celebration and the sharing of that sacrament will bring bread to those who starve in our world. I wonder if our sitting at the Lord's table will bring relief to those who need our support and our comfort. Minister, did you just photograph her or did you feed her? Ian Maisko has produced a series of talks for us based on John's Gospel. Today he examines the grace and truth embodied by Jesus. Today I'm concluding my thoughts from John's introduction to Jesus in the first chapter of his Gospel. I don't know about you, but I've really benefited from letting his lifetime summary of who Jesus is wash over my mind and heart again. John had become a new person because of this man, Jesus, and so have many of us, his readers. Words like grace and truth taken on meaning and life since we met him, as they did for John. Verse 14 says that the word of God became human and lived among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from or with the Father, full of grace and truth. Moses gives us the law, but grace and truth only came through Jesus Christ. Luke agrees in his comparison of John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, and Jesus. 
they both developed and became strong, he says, but only Jesus grew in grace. If you like, it was the difference between our sun and moon. The sun's white-hot light source is on a completely different level than the cold, reflected light of the moon. In the day you can't even see the moon. It only serves the night. That's the difference between the God-man, Jesus, and the Old Testament law which went before him, says John. We all start in the dark, and maybe you've only seen God by moonlight, and mistaken cold religion for the real person, who is full of grace and truth. Jesus is showing us the Father as they walk together through this earth, and they are something altogether greater and more beautiful than words written on stone tablets. God once said to Moses, You can only see my back, not my face. But Paul says that we have seen the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Try a Bible search for the two words, grace, Jesus, in an online Bible, say BibleGateway.com or BlueLetterBible.com.org, if you're computer savvy. You'll find about 50 references. Choose any translation. They make great reading for meditation. Jesus brought the grace of God into reality. He is its definition. Though we try to reduce it to words like favour or forgiveness, grace is much bigger than that. It includes selflessness, long-suffering, humility, the sheer loveliness of Jesus. This is God walking our earth, sharing our humanity. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, says Jesus. Is that how they are to you, or are you stuck in cold moonlight? You need to read John's Gospel yourself, with an open, hungry attitude. Please, show me yourself, Lord, if this is true. What is truth, says Pilate, cynically, as he faces Jesus, like he's an earthly judge? Don't go there. He didn't actually want to know. So Jesus didn't tell him any more than he could tell you in such a mood. But Thomas, who earlier had the same real heart question, was told by Jesus, I am the truth. If you really want to know, he will tell you too. But not otherwise. One of the times we're told Jesus was filled with joy, he said, Nobody knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom he chooses to reveal him. He loves to do this for any hungry person. The Father and the Son have invested their whole persons to this end. We must take Jesus at his word. Believe me is his kind command to us. John is a great book to read for the first time, or the hundredth. 
It's still a default read for me, and I recommend it. Jesus leads you to the Father as you receive him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and
Rose is in charge of Soundwaves Radio in Sussex. Ian has produced a series of short thoughts, one of which he shares with us now. When I was young, well at least a lot younger than I am now, I had a postcard of a child sitting on the doorstep looking very mournful. The words at the foot of the card read, Nobody loves me. I'm going into the garden to eat worms. Yesterday I ate two smooth ones and one woolly one. We may smile, but you know this feeling is common to many of us and not only children. We all need to be loved and feel wanted. We all need a friend with whom we don't have to pretend, but just be natural, be ourselves, someone who will accept us, faults and all. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weighed down with care, and I'll give you rest. Well, that sounds the kind of friend that I need.
Amen.